In a Stuff exclusive, the mother of baby Rue, the toddler who died late last year in Wellington, has spoken on the record and says she did not kill her son. For that and everything else we're talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Emil, are you a fan of political polls? Uh, yes, I like the theatre around them. And I like it when um, a poll gets announced and there's the whole like, oh my God, this poll is amazing. And then it's like... <laughs> exactly the same results as the last one. But I do, too, get caught up in the entertainment, especially when uh, the TV journos post social media videos and they're like, yeah. it's poll day, and they drop it at 9am that morning and you've got to wait till the 6 o'clock news bulletin to find out, once again, the results <gasps> that you were essentially the same as last time. Well, I mean, you, you, you were at three in the gallery, like, uh, news up, sorry. Yes, wow, what um, decade are we living in? In the gallery. Is it exciting on poll night? Yes, oh, I was very excited because it's all top secret. Uh, it's all so you don't know as a reporter you don't know it's just political editor secret the team knows but yeah yeah look I can't I'm not going to give away too many secrets what do people have you have you got people texting you all day being like wait can you just give nah no one really I think I think sure that must have been an age ago because nah that never happened to me sorry Mm. to disappoint but yeah it is it is make something up and (laughs) it's like yeah, I could just say anything. And then, of course, it's not even just like the main poll results because you poll um, other questions about would you support a wealth tax, for example, or do you think there should be uh, rent caps? And mm. so those stories then come out as well, which are also very good pulse of the nation. Anyway, I'm getting completely off track because the reason I ask is, I don't know if you know, but it's an election year. It is. Uh, yeah. And polls, therefore, are going to become more and more frequent. But even if, as I've just said, there's still that mysterious thing about them, how they're done, how reliable they are, what they're used for, what what they're useful for, and who takes part. Even I still don't really know. Yeah. And, uh, well, Imogen, see, I think you're in luck. Oh. Um, because we're going to demystify some of the stuff right now because I, I had similar questions. And earlier this year I sat down for uh, a chat with a few very knowledgeable people about exactly the questions that you've kind of gone through and more. That's right. You had David Farah, who owns the polling firm Curia, Peter Dunn, former Labour MP and United Future leader, and one of Stuff's senior journalists and a former political journalist, Andrea Vance. Chef's kiss. Yeah, dream team, right? Great lineup. Yeah, they were great. It, it was it was really really interesting talking to each of these people. Um, and we're going to play that chat for you now. I I started off talking to David Farah, and I began by asking him, you know, the one hundred and one kind of question, I guess, uh, like, w- what is a a poll? Basically, it's an attempt to find out what the public think on an issue, and it attempts to be scientifically representative. So what isn't a poll is me walking down the street and just asking 100 random people, because then that's going to be determined by who I happen to walk into. You know, polls, you try to say, look, we represent New Zealand, so we look at do we have a good balance of gender by age, by where people live, so that when you get the results of a poll, it hopefully tells you something. It might be people like this brand of coffee. It might be they like this political party. It might be what are they most worried about, etc. 
All right, well, let, let's focus on political polls. How do you do that then? Like, say you're doing a poll of a thousand people. How do you make sure that those thousand people represent the voting population of New Zealand? So what we do, and I think most companies, is a multi-mode model where we call some people on landlines, we call some people on mobile phones, and we use online panels. And then what you do is you set quotas. So you say, look, 51% of the population are female, so we want 51% women, 22% are aged under 30. So you, you aim for quotas for different segments. One of the key tricky things is how many different types of quotas do you have? Because yeah. if you have a quota for everything, you then eventually have to like phone 10,000 people to find the 22-year-old female Pacific Islander left-handed living on Waiheke Island. So you tend to do gender, age, area, income, sometimes ethnicity to try and get that there. You never get precise. So the other thing you do is you weight it. So if we say, look, we wanted 50% females, but you end up getting 55% female, you weight every woman in your survey 50 over 55. We won't do the maths lesson exactly, but then the overall results should broadly reflect the New Zealand population. Well, I mean, how granular do you want to get with that? So, I mean, for example, let's say that 1% of the New Zealand population identifies uh, as Jedi in the census. Would you be calling around until you found 10 people who self-identified as Jedi? Or would that be not significant enough, not important enough to the goals of this? Of, of it the depends if you think religion is important. Right. And if people of different religions will have different political views, taking aside other things... You can get wrong. In the US, the polls were fairly wrong in 2016 when Trump got elected because hmm. it turned out that the biggest factor wasn't what they were in the past, which was income, urban, rural, but for whites, were you college educated or not? Right. So after 2016, all the pollsters in the US start waiting for college education. At this stage in New Zealand, I don't think most pollsters do because it's not as defining a difference as it is there. So part of the job of a pollster is to always be looking at where are the fault lines where this may be significant for how people vote. We know gender is very, very significant. Uh, female voters tend to vote more left than male voters. We know age is significant. We know area is significant. So they're the big three. On top of that, it comes down to how much of an impact will it make on the poll versus how much will it cost. If you know, you're going to get a result that's still accurate within half a percent without finding your 10 Jedi and it will cost you an extra 5,000 bucks to find your 10 Jedi, it's just not worth it. How many people would you call to get that 1,000 representative people? Generally, you will be calling at least 10, if not 20 phone numbers to get hold of someone who does it. You often have automated machines now that will call the numbers and only connect it to a staffer once there's an answer. Because a lot of people are also giving up their landlines, for example. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the numbers you may have are there. The other thing that comes into it is you may just do random digit dialing. We don't even know if it's a real phone number. You just say, this is every possible phone number in New Zealand and you have the computers dial them until one of them actually gets a ringing tone. So you do call many, many people to get hold of thing. The key is, are those that you're not getting hold of different to those you are getting hold of? 
Peter Dunn is a former Labour MP and United Future leader. He was the MP for Ohariu in Wellington for more than 20 years. I think there's always a risk in looking at the last poll or the last set of polls and forming a view. You've got to take the long view, look at the trend line over time. And certainly that's what the politicians look at. They, they, they don't get too fixated on the numbers last week or this week, but they want to see how they've been panning out over the last few months because that gives them the trend that they could show whether they're sort of on an upward curve or a downward slope. The media is probably uh, deserved, and we'll get onto this, but probably deservedly criticised for making too much out of isolated polls. But the politicians actually have a lot more information because the politicians poll much more regularly than the media, don't they? Yes, and 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 it depends on the size of the of the political party, the amount of resources it's got to dedicate mm. to polling. But the larger parties, particularly in election year, are often polling weekly and they're polling on particular topics, not just the horse race between the main parties, but they're rating the leaders or looking at how various policies are reacting with the, with the voters or even what it is the voters are expecting from them. So they're getting a lot more constant information and they're able to sort of set that alongside what they got last week, the week before, the month before and see what the developing trend is. Take me back to your MP days. Let's imagine it's you know it's a Sunday night. It's two minutes to six. Uh, TV One's going to be leading the news with its new poll. Where are you? Like like and and how are you? How are you taking this in? And how are you feeling? Oh, well, you're 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 on edge. Obviously, you're watching for that poll. You have a sense of what it might say. How accurate your senses will soon be revealed. And then you're looking at all of them because when the polls are published. There's a whole lot of background information they publish as well. And you're looking at all of that to see if there's something you can pull out of that that maybe makes the bad news a little more palatable or the good news just gives that a bit of a temper. So, you know, the politicians, while they would say we're not really interested in the polls, it's only one poll, there's only one poll that counts the poll on election day. They watch them very closely and they're looking for every sign that either they're making an impact or that things are turning south for them. And often if there are leadership issues around, then that, that sort of race between the two leaders, the approval ratings, becomes very important and probably a little bit overstated. But it's the sort of thing people grasp at to prove their point. Is it important for morale? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I can remember being in the Labour caucus during 1990 where a good poll was one where we were 20 points behind. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Things were so bad. Mm. Um, I think the last poll before the election was something like 64 National, 22 Labour, uh, which doesn't give you a lot of confidence. But you try and take every little hint, you know, hey, that was better than the one before. So therefore, things are improving. Um, the politicians um, do take notice of that because... A lot of the public reaction is fed off the polls. If people think you're doing well, they're more supportive. If they think you're on the way out, then they're less interested in what you've got to say. So politicians have got to try and reflect that sense and also um, try and just put it into perspective because their own internal polling might be giving them a slightly different picture. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if there, that sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Andrea Vance is a senior journalist with Stuff and she also worked in the press gallery 
for nearly a decade. I am not a big believer in the value of those poles. They're very expensive. So now it's been some time since I was in the gallery for TVNZ, maybe five years. But we were, talk- we were talking then roughly 10 to 15 grand for a pole. So quite a lot of money. Obviously, you do a number over a course of a year and I think you get a package deal but it's still quite a lot of money and the way I looked at it was it was enough money to pay a senior journalist to do actual journalism for a year a salary for a year that you're spending in polls so I was never a big fan of polls and I was not silent about not being a big fan of polls these polls are already being done they're already being done by political parties who pay money for these and they do them much more frequently than media companies and they use the information in much different ways. So the information is very valuable to a political strategist. It is very valuable to a political party. It is less valuable to me as a journalist and it's even less value to a reader. So here are the reasons why. There are very few polls in New Zealand, right? Very few published polls. They're very few and far between and it's not a good baseline of information. Also the internal polls do not become available at regular intervals. So so the internal National Party polls and the internal Labour Party polls say they only get leaked when someone wants them to be leaked for good or for bad, right? So so you're not you don't have a baseline like a regular data point to analyze. And then the way that we treat polls, individual polls is fundamentally wrong, right? Journalists tend to interpret polls like they're a crystal ball, like they're going to predict what's happening in the future when actually they're telling us what's happening right there and then and in the past. So we're using them the wrong way around, right? Polls are valuable when you look at them as a trend over a long period of time. One poll will not tell you what you need to know. It'll tell you about a point in time, but it won't tell you about a trend. It definitely cannot tell you what's going to happen at the election. And that's why we keep getting them wrong. That's why we have it thrown back at us as media commentators and political journalists. Oh, well, your polls were completely out. They were completely wrong. Maybe they were wrong in predicting the election, but they probably weren't wrong in predicting what was happening in April 2021, right? We kind of treat them as utterly definitive as well. So there's far too much hate and noise and light and excitement around one poll. It's a manufactured news line. Let's shit on the media a little bit for a while, shall we? You know, this is fun. We're allowed to do it. (laughs) Self-hating journalists. You know, because a lot of people are quite critical of how polls are are reported as well once the results have come back. You know, this poll, get ready, cover your living room floor with plastic and update your last will and testament because your head might actually explode when you hear the results of this one. There is a lot. behind that, right, in that polls in New Zealand are actually kind of part of a media organization's business model. Like, they cost a lot of money, and you want to get as many eyeballs on it as possible because that's the only way to really make it economical, which I guess goes back to the point that you were making before around use of resources and opportunity cost. Yeah, I mean, you're going to squeeze the hell out of it, right? You paid 11, 12, whatever grand for a poll. You got It's got to be the top story. Mm. It's got to be your lead. You've got to have the fancy graphics and... Uh, oh God, I'm never going to get a job again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's and I think this is fundamentally this. I think this, this, that I think your question goes to the gut of why I feel so strongly about it because oh, it, it just feels like we're manufacturing news, mm. right? We're taking a piece of information that is a snapshot in time, and we're pretending that we know the future. We're pret- and that's bad, right? That's that's not a good thing. We shouldn't be doing that. But also, I'm saying that they're not important, but. What is important is the reaction that a poll can cause. So I'm not saying that an entire caucus is going to wet the bed over one poll, but a series of polls, they are going to start getting nervous, right? It becomes, bad poll results become self-perpetuating in a way. David, do do you think that polls can lead people's 
votes? Oh, absolutely. Self-fulfilling prophecy is a term. There's a number of factors for that. Partly, people don't like to back losers. Mm. But if you see this party is sliding in the polls, the media coverage goes negative, people think, well, I sort of like them, but obviously they're not doing that well because they're down in the polls. So this is why um, politicians especially, I think, are very focused on the polls. Um, I used to joke that John Key's interest in the polls made Gollum look like a quitter when it came to the ring. Um, <laughs> Um, etc. Yeah, fairly, fairly high level of interest there. Um, because yeah, you know, the polls are news, they are what percolate through to people. Um, I don't think you should ban anything, but but I can understand why Winston used to bang on about you know wanting to ban the polls, etc., because mm. they can be quite powerful. And that's why, as an industry, you know, we have a code of con- conduct mm. and we work quite hard to to make sure that you know the polls reflect public opinion as best as we can do it. Peter, you served as a minister in both Labour lead and national lead governments. Was there a difference in how those governments viewed and used polls? No, not really. I think they were they were yeah. um, pretty similar. I think the, the one thing that always fascinated me is about how the information produced for the party was controlled. So uh, the, the, the bulk of the information would be handed to a very few people. The senior people would get the full picture. Uh, the people further down the line would get a much more sanitized version of a, what was being asked, and B, what they were being told. So they'd probably been told, look, we're doing okay, we're, we're ahead, or we're not doing okay, or we're winning on this issue, or, or we're losing on that one. But the detail as to what that meant and what needed to be done was usually in both parties very tightly controlled for obvious reasons, not wanting to let what? stuff leak out or be uh, perverted by other influences. I, I mean, I know what you mean by for obvious reasons, but like the more that I think about it as well, the more I'm like, it's kind of weird that political parties commission all of this polling, sometimes weekly, as you say, but they keep it to themselves as well. It, it almost seems kind of undemo- undemocratic well, in a way. Uh, Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, and it's a simple proposition. Information is power. So you're the leadership of a party. You've got some polling information that might be critical of you or critical of positions that you're advocating. Do you really want to go and share that with your caucus and say the public think I'm a dickhead or the public <laughs> think that this is a you know the policy I've been talking about for months is a lousy policy? So of course you want to control that. Now having said that, having received that information, you'll be working out how to counter it. Mm. So that you so that by the time the next poll comes around you're not going to be similarly described. But you, you want to keep that very tight just in case it gets misused by those in the caucus who might have a different view than you. So you'll present yeah, – it's, it's, it's politics within politics, if you like. You'll yeah. present the bits to the, to the team at large that are broadly favourable and keep the rest pretty much in-house uh, to a small group so that you can figure out what the next move is. Today on Newsable, in a Stuff exclusive, the mother of baby Rue, the toddler who died late last year in Wellington, has spoken on the record and says she did not kill her son. Plus, step aside, working from home. Working from holiday seems to be the new trend, and I have an update on the USA's Cicada Geddon. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts. I'm talking to David Farrar, who is the owner of polling firm Curia. One thing that I see quite a bit when polls come out, and I'm sure that you get this all the time, is you know a Curia poll will come out 
and maybe it'll show that the right block's doing well. And a certain segment of the population will be like, oh, well, of course it says that. It's a courier poll. Um, you know, everybody yeah. knows David Farah loves National and wants to marry John Key, and you obviously can't take anything that Curia says seriously. What's your response to that? Yeah, of course, of course, you hear that. You hear that about any poll sometimes. Exactly. But like, yeah, you hear that about um, Talbot, 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 yeah. Talbot Mills and Labor as well. Yeah. Here's the thing: the worst thing for me would be telling a political party you're going to win when they're going to lose. Mm. You know, most of the polls we do are actually for clients who don't publish them because they just want the best information out there. For the polls that do get published, you have a reality check called an election. Mm. If you publish a poll that says National's going to win by 10% and National lose by 5%, you're not going to have a lot of clients. Um, and actually, if you look at the public polls we've done with Taxpayers Union, I think we had national lower than any other party in the public polls for a while. We had them down at 22% uh, when Judith Collins was there. And, you know, you can look at the polls and you can look at the other polls and see which ones are broadly in the same range and are there an outlier. Not so much in New Zealand, but in some countries you do get polls that seem to lean a bit to the right or the left. But in my view, we don't really get that in New Zealand. I regard Talbot Malls, who do the Labour polling, as a good company. Sometimes if I'm conflicted, I'll even refer clients on to them. You, you mentioned um, the idea there of sort of a, I don't think you use the words, but the, you know, a rogue poll or, or something that, that yeah. goes against statistical trends and also maybe intuition too. C can you kind of explain what a rogue poll is and how that compares to, a, to the margin of error? Sure. You talk about 3% margin of error with a poll, but there's a bit they don't report, which is within a 95% confidence interval. And what that means is that if you've done everything right, your sample will reflect the New Zealand population within 3%, 95% of the time, which means one in 20 polls, you may be outside that. So your result for Labour may be 4% or even 5% out. And one of the challenges you have as a pollster, it's just like any job where you get experience, is sometimes you'll get one of your own polls and you'll actually say, oh, I think this one's a bit off. You still publish it because the worst thing I think you can do as a pollster sometimes is only publish the ones that you think the client or wants to hear. Mm -hmm. But part of it is being able to say, look, occasionally you will get a poll that will be a bit off. That's fine because actually what's important with polls isn't the snapshot. Sure, the, the day before the election, the snapshot's important. What's actually important is the trend. Over three, four months, is this party going up? Is this party going down? How are they doing in preferred PM? Perhaps the most important question, country direction. Do people think New Zealand's heading in the right or wrong direction? So that's why it's okay. Occasionally there will be a, a rogue poll out there. That's just a sign that actually people are being honest and publishing the results they get. The first point to remember is that they are a snapshot in time. They, they reflect the mood of the time, literally the hour during which they were taken. So to say that, that that they have an impact beyond that, I think, is is, is uh, unwise. And if you really want to sort of get a sense of understanding where they're at, you need to look at the trend line over time because that tells you the story. Uh, and the other, the other thing I'd say is that probably the, the poll that the politicians take the most notice of 
And the one that um, probably is most accurate in terms of the public mood is the question, is the country on the right track or the wrong track? That right track, wrong track um, result is the one that people look at. So it's not inconceivable, and there have been occasions where the government of the day has been ahead in the public perception, but on the right track, wrong track question, entirely the other way around. And that's that's the more accurate predictor of their fate than their temporary popularity. So I just say to people, keep an eye on that one. Here's my hack, right? If you're looking at political polls, if you, if you, if you, let's try and look at them as, say, a political strategist or, or a professional would look at them. Don't look at the, don't look at the top line, right? Don't look at the headline things that, that, that is in the first couple of paragraphs of the story. You need to look at two things, um, and it's what I, my go-to when I'm reading a poll. You kind of go into the side tabs. Um, it's the right track, wrong track, right? So what people generally think of how a government is doing. Um, that's your key indicator. And then the approval and disapproval of a particular politician. That'll tell you. That'll give you, if you look at their net negatives, that's what you need to know, right? And so those are the two things. When you're looking at poll reporting, those are the things that you should look for because they are the things that will, will give you an idea of what's really happening. Well, that's it for this special episode of Newsball. I'm Emile Donovan. And I'm Imogen Wells. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a fair chance you'll enjoy all of our offerings. We drop new episodes every morning, Monday to Saturday. So give us a like and subscribe to get that goodness delivered to you without having to lift a finger. For now, though, have a great weekend. Be good. And we'll catch you Monday. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. Unless you've been in it, it's it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt abrasive doctor who I had you know had not seen before who delivered the news just like you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The human race where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it and so I feel really lucky so it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.